right, 622. Welcome back in the opening kickoff. We're just getting started here on this Monday. Thanks for hanging with us. See one of your favorite players in the NFL is moving on from the Eagles. I did see that. To the Lions. Why didn't the Saints go back and get him? I don't know if they have any money left. They probably don't, but he tied for the uh, NFL lead. Uh, J- Johnson did with six interceptions, and now he's a Lion. So someone had, uh, I think it was Jeff Duncan who covers the Saints, tweeted something interesting, is that the Saints and the Eagles are telling us something about Johnson that we don't know. Well, I don't and know. It, and it's not a good thing. Now, he was implying that there was something going on, that there's a reason that these teams who have signed him don't re-sign him. I don't know what those reasons are, and they better be pretty freaking good if you're not going to re-sign him, but he's found a new home in Detroit. And, you know, um, speaking of Detroit, this kind of flew under the radar, but when I heard, I guess we had Ross Jackson, when he mentioned about Jamal Williams, now talk about not signing a guy. The Lions running back, Jamal Williams, is now a saint. This guy had like set a Lions record. I think he had 17 touchdowns last year. He's got he's like one of those players they say he's got a nose for the end zone. And I heard that, but I wasn't sure because I remember Jamal Williams had a great year for the Lions, and now he's with the Saints. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Well, um, but the 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 move from Philly to Detroit after a single year, I do find. Well, he was a free agent, and apparently the Eagles didn't want to match or, let's say, uh, come around to his terms. They had two others. Uh, they kept Slay and Bradbury, I think, they decided to keep. So maybe his asking price was too high. I don't know. Nothing new on Aaron Rodgers, so apparently the Jets and Packers still negotiating. All right, well, there's plenty new on the Brandon Miller case. Uh, if you haven't read the story from the Tuscaloosa patch, uh, I encourage you to do so, but you're going to need about a half an hour, maybe 45 minutes, and you're going to have to read it twice. It's pretty in-depth. Uh, we're going to be joined by the, the man that wrote that story, Ryan Phillips, at 730. But it certainly gives a different, a much different narrative than the one that we've been hearing since this story came about. Talked to Ryan yesterday, Mark. He's he's independent. He's not associated with anybody. He's got no axe to grind. Apparently, he got a hold of some video and now, again, you're right. I, I, I started to read that story, and I really got embellished in it. But, my gosh, it took forever, and I lost sight of some of the facts in there. So, Ryan, in, a, in our conversation, was we, we talked a lot about, you know, what, what goes against what people are thinking now. And also we talked about was there really a fourth person in the vehicle. So these are things that, you know, he may— uh, shed light on when we talked to him at 7.30. Like I said, though, the key was he had he somehow got a hold of some video. I don't know if it's what the investigators had, Mark. I, I forgot what he said about that, but uh, he had some access that others don't. So long story short, it appears, just appears. Now, he can't confirm, but he saw muzzle flashes in the video. It would appear that Cedric Johnson, who was the boyfriend of, and the father of uh, Jamal Harris's uh, child son uh, was the one that fired first. That is the big, that's kind of the big nugget in this story. Um, the other thing is that Culpepper, the investigator, 
seems to have made all his conclusions based on talking with Cedric Johnson and Cedric Johnson only, which I find highly questionable. Like, it seems like you would talk to everybody involved, but that, and that Harris hasn't been charged or even subpoenaed. Not Harris, I'm sorry, Johnson. Johnson uh, Cedric Johnson. Now, Cedric Johnson indicates that he was threatened, uh, and I'll have to go back and look at my notes, at either uh, with, uh, by either Miles or Davis, Darius Miles or Michael Davis. Now, Aja Humphrey, who was Harris's cousin who was in the car, never heard, according to the Tuscaloosa patch, never heard that threat. Um, she, you know, the, he was like, I mean, uh, Ryan Phillips story indicated that she actually was driving the vehicle first and they exchanged seats. Yeah. She went to the back seat. Her cousin, Jemiah Harris, the victim, then took over the front seat. Passenger side. Yes. Yeah. With Johnson driving. And like I said, th there are a lot of areas here and i don't think ryan's trying to draw any conclusions he's just trying to shed light on what he saw yeah so the video shows that in cedric johnson's vehicle something gets transported from the front seat to the back seat i think it's a fair assumption to say that something was a gun i think Culpepper tried the investigator tried to say it was just as likely that it was food but Johnson gets out of the car at one point to go across the street to talk to somebody else who, by the way, has not shown up for his subpoena. Favoring his right hip, insinuating that there was a gun in his in his in his hip or, or, or on his hip the whole time, which messes with the original timeline that Johnson said he didn't get the gun until after there was a threat. Long story short, if all this deems to be accurate, then Alabama fans, I say this to you. It could come out that Darius Miles, Michael Davis, all of those guys could have been acting in self-defense. Um, it's a very complex set of events that got put, put into motion. Uh, it also, Miles, Davis, and Miller seem to try to de-escalate another fight that was happening. Apparently, it was a wild night on the strip. We'll get to it all coming up. You guys can chime in, but we'll turn our attention back to basketball when we come back. Great footwork. Good vision, too, what's going on out there. Well, but he knew he was going to make that. All right, 632 here on our busy Monday edition. It's the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee right here in the studios of WNSP. All right, let's uh, talk some basketball now with Drew DeArmond, our basketball analyst. He's the uh, radio talk show host up at Huntsville at 97.7. Drew, welcome to the uh, show. Good morning. How are you today? Good, Lee and Mark. How are you guys doing? Good. So the SEC gets three teams in of the Sweet 16, tied for the most with the Big East. Talk about the uh, – let's first of all start with Alabama. Your thoughts on how they played and where they're going on from here to take on San Diego State. Well, I mean, I think they played well. I don't think they played their best basketball. I think the two things they did uh, – to the high, to, 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 and it's going to have to be the backbone of them continuing to advance, Mark and, and, uh, and Lee, and that's re defend, defend and rebound. I thought their defense and rebounding – I thought Charles Bediaco was probably the MVP of this two-game tournament. I know he only played 
15, 16 minutes against Texas A&M Corpus Christi, but I think he had eight points, eight rebounds, like three blocks, and then uh, he gave him his fifth double-double, 10-10, with, uh, with, a, with a few blocks as well uh, against uh, Maryland. And, of course, he had a tough cover as well. So uh, Maryland had a really nice post player uh, who ended up fouling out in the game in Julian Reese. So I think the defense and rebounding is what's going to have to uh, you know, be the, the key to, for Alabama because they didn't shoot the ball tremendously well in the second game. They did shoot it very well. Uh, except for Brandon Miller, ironically, against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. But the defense and rebounding, I thought, were really good and were the big key for Alabama advancing to the Sweet 16 for the second time in three years. Uh, I might mention Drew was up there, especially Saturday. I'm just curious, before we get to Auburn, did the, was the, the crowd, were they pro-SEC, or did you have Auburn fans rooting against Alabama and vice versa? Well, no, I mean, it, the, the crowds were outstanding both days, and uh, you know, for the first session on Thursday, Alabama had a large and loud crowd. And then uh, as they cleared the uh, arena and the second session started, Auburn's crowd came in and kind of took it over. And then uh, on uh, Saturday, I was interested to see how that worked out. Auburn played first. Uh, they had a raucous crowd. And then the Alabama fans, there were a few there already, but they really took it over. Uh, and the game didn't start until a little after 9 o'clock. So, it was a great day for basketball in the state of Alabama. Unfortunately, for the Auburn Tigers, who's just they played against an outstanding team. I want to tell both of you guys, I watched, of course, the Houston-Alabama game on television uh, back on December the 10th. But until you see them in person, I'm talking about the Houston Cougars, it doesn't do it justice. Auburn played probably their best first half of the year in building a 41-31 to lead. And then vice versa. Houston came out like Mike Tyson in his prime and just absolutely dominated that second half. Well, I mean, I know Auburn fans are lamenting that 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 little that little shot you take from 15 feet away with uh, with nobody govern, covering you, but free throws were just devastating to Auburn. Oh, they were, Mark. There's no question about it. It it kind of reminded me of Alabama against UCLA two three years ago. Uh, you know, in that uh, Sweet 16 matchup in Indianapolis, Alabama, I think, shot 11 for 26. Uh, and Herb Jones missed several down the stretch, and they lose the game in overtime. Probably should have won it in regulation, but they couldn't convert. And so Auburn, and especially Jonai Broom, who is really – it was it was a key for them to keep him on the floor against Houston, and they did. He didn't get in foul trouble, but I believe he shot 6 for 16 from the free throw line. And I think it became mental in the second half for Auburn, and – if they had made the free throws, they could have stayed in the game and given themselves a chance, uh, you know, with four minutes to go to, to maybe win the game. But the, the free throws and then just uh, Trevon Mark and the way he took the game over when Marcus Sasser got in foul trouble was, was just unreal. The lefty was just really good. As a matter of fact, it's ironic you mentioned free throws. He was really good from the mid-range and with his pull-up game. And uh, he just played outstanding basketball. And Houston dominated the glass in the second half. And, uh, they just really came. They played like a number one seed should play, and I give Auburn a lot of credit for having a really solid year. But Houston, I definitely think, is one of the top three or four teams in the country, no question about it. Would you suggest that John Calipari keep off uh, social messaging or stay away from anything uh, to do with uh, fans uh, calling for whatever? Uh, probably so. I mean, Kentucky's a, a different animal. It's like Alabama football. If you if you don't win a national championship every year, you might you might want to stay away from that kind of thing. It's probably why Nick Saban doesn't have any social media accounts, and ironically, they're going to start you know spring practice later today. But you know, I, I had Kentucky losing to K State, 
I just didn't think this Kentucky team was good enough and consistent enough, and that's what happened. Antonio Reeves didn't make a shot until less than a minute to go in the game. He had to be that third scorer. Uh, you know, Sheway had a big game. Uh, you know, Wallace had a big game, but they just they had to have a third scorer, guys, and it didn't materialize. And uh, and I, I just got to – and if you have a national coach of the year candidate, Jerome Tang has got to be on the short list with what he's done with K-State in his first season. Yeah, I loved his uh, statement afterwards, like – Hey, you know, this is not the Kentucky team of Wall and Booker and Cousins. You know, like you people talk about the great tradition. You know, we got a little bit of a tradition also. I was really impressed with that uh, point guard, uh, Noel, the guy that scored the 27 points. They had him listed at 5'9". I'm guessing he was shorter than that. Yeah, you know, I would guess 5'8", maybe 5'7", but he's dynamic. Uh, no, no doubt about it. You know, a group of five transfer and He's had a tremendous impact. They've got Keontae Johnson, as you guys remember. He, that's probably a big reason why Mike White's not at Florida because of his health situation because he was preseason SEC player of the year about three years ago. Uh, but he's now back on the floor for K-State. He didn't have a huge game, but he was very solid. I believe Noel ended up with like 27 and 9 assists. And, uh, that, and that he just basically was the best guard on the floor. That's usually uh, one of John Calipari's first-round picks, but it's like I'm I said, guys, I think I probably said it on your show. I've been joining you guys weekly during SEC play. When Alabama blew out Kentucky early in conference play, I was—I just remarked that I didn't really see any first-round picks on their roster, and that's unusual for John Calipari. Now, he's got a, uh, the number one class in the country coming in next year. They're going to have a talent infusion. But this year, I, I would agree with Coach Tank. It just wasn't in the cards. Kentucky did not have one of their vintage rosters. All right, let's go to Tennessee because most everybody felt Duke was the hottest team coming in, and I had Duke going to the Final Four. Obviously, they're not. Talk about the Tennessee win and how physical they were and how they actually beat Duke, uh, not only on the scoreboard, but on the court. Yeah, I mean, I thought uh, Tennessee's physicality was the key, the way the game was called. Uh, when Flipikowski had the you know the injury below his eye early, uh, it kind of it kind of rocked Duke, and I think they they just uh, they were Duke's a young team, a lot of talent, and had been playing very well, but I'm just not sure that they adjusted to the physicality until they had already dug a hole, and Duke didn't have a great shooting night. You know Tennessee got exactly what they wanted. They wanted a slower pace. They wanted the game played in the 60s. If that's what they got, they win the game 65-52. And now with the way that bracket's opened up, their next matchup is with FAU. FAU's very athletic, but they're not huge. And so Tennessee's going to want to grind them as well. And we know what already happened, you know, to Purdue. The one seed is out. So Tennessee has got a, a good shot, even though, I, you know, certainly K-State and Michigan State are going to have something to say about that. Both those are physical teams. But, you know, Tennessee's got a nice matchup in the Sweet 16. Everybody, you guys know they've only made one Elite Eight in their history. And so, even without Zakai Ziegler, sometimes it's a matchup deal. And I think Tennessee, I, and it just seemed like they kind of were setting their jaw after they lost to Missouri in the SEC tournament. They, they seemed to have a, the, the tone of their press conference was, you know, we're not done. We know we're better than this, and we're going to come back and prove it. And certainly Tennessee played well this past weekend. I'm telling you, I look at the schedule uh, this coming Thursday and Friday. I think the Arkansas-UConn game could be lights out exciting. Yeah, no question. You know, they, 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 you know, they need to get Nick Smith going. Uh, he didn't play well this weekend, but Debo Davis, even though he fouled out, was unbelievable in the second half. Had 21 for Arkansas. 
Uh, you know, they, they and, and again, they, they need Anthony Black. He's in a boot. They need him to get healthy. These few days off are really going to help him. But Musselman, for some reason, some coaches just have a knack. And, I, you know, I, you know I, I had Otis Kirk on my show last week, and we talked about it. You know, I had Arkansas win in the first game, and we both said if they do, we wouldn't be shocked if they got Kansas. Kansas had the point guard injury during the game, guys, and that, was, that really hampered them. But Arkansas was able to get the game out. Uh, you know, and really play well. And Ricky Council made some plays down the stretch. He had a big night. And Arkansas is finally playing up to their talent level. And you're right. I saw that UConn team. They're outstanding. They blew Alabama out over in Portland. And that's going to be a really, really interesting ball game. And by the time you get to the Sweet 16, I always tell people this. Throw the seeds out. Just look at the rosters. It doesn't matter what you're seeded. Because if you get to the Sweet 16, you've earned it. Absolutely. So which SEC schools do you have advancing to the Elite Eight? Well, I think Alabama's got a good shot if they, you know, uh, uh, basically they've got to set their jaws because, again, San Diego State's probably going to be up there with Tennessee and Houston as uh, two of the better defensive teams they played. Uh, but, you know, they only have one double-digit score, and Alabama's a really good defensive team too. I think Alabama's got a good chance to advance. I do think Tennessee can advance over FAU uh, if they rebound the ball and they shoot it decently. Uh, and, and uh, you know, and Vescovy has a good game from the perimeter, and they don't turn the ball over. And then Arkansas, I think they got a shot at UConn, but I, I'm going to take UConn probably in a thriller somewhere around 71 to 67. But I think they got a good shot. But I've got two SEC teams in the Elite Eight. How'd your Final Four look right now? Did any of them get uh, knocked out, or you still got your Final Four okay? I got three of them alive, guys. Like. I've got Alabama, uh, you know, and uh, I think Alabama, I, I, and I've got Houston, uh, no question about that. You know, Alabama and, and Houston, I thought, is one seed, had really nice draws, uh, no, no doubt. And, and then, you know, as I've said, uh, you know, and, and then I also, I, I did lose Duke. You know, I, I had Duke taken out uh, Tennessee, no doubt about that. And unfortunately, that happened. Uh, so I don't have the Blue Devils in there. Uh, but, you know, but I do uh, still have uh, UCLA. So UCLA was able to advance, and I still think I love Mick Cronin's DNA in March like Tom Izzo. So I think I've still got the UCLA run. So I'm in pretty good shape. I got nine of the Sweet 16 and three of the four Final Four left. Talk to you next week, Drew. Have a good show. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I had, Duke, I had Duke, too, in the Final Four, so I'm down to three. You know, the other thing, too, is uh, – and maybe it's because we're so SEC-centric here. I felt like the first day of each round just had m- more games that I was really interested in watching. There was some great basketball last night, for, or yesterday for sure, but it was the Saturday games that I was really interested in. And I, and I felt the same way the first day of – or the first day of the tournament, too, in the first round. Uh, it just so happened that a lot of the SEC schools were playing. So I was looking forward to those, specifically Alabama and Auburn. But it's been it's been fun, man. It's it it it's exactly why we watch the tournament. We talk about Princeton being a 15, getting to the uh, Sweet 16, but flying way under the radar is FAU. Mark, they used to be in the Sun Belt. You know, I went to trips there to do JAG games. They come out now to Conference USA, and they've had a really good year. They have over 30 wins. Obviously, I was hoping for the school from New Jersey to win uh, Farley Dickinson, but this is a team that people just throwing away, like FAU. Like, what are they doing here? I mean, Princeton, you know, they've had a basketball reputation. FAU has not. So, you know, when you talk about a team that's really – 
under the radar, you know, that would be it. I want, I'm with you. Uh, because the SEC was mainly involved in Thursday and Saturday, I spent most of my time. Yesterday, I had a little bit of interest, especially in the Kentucky game. You know, against Kansas State, I had Kansas State advancing, which they did, but I didn't know about some of their personnel. I knew about Johnson. The floor. Gets it in, fourth the arrow, puts it up, and it's over. Kansas State came out of nowhere this season, and now it's on to the Sweet 16. All right, 6.52, wrapping up our number one here on the opening kickoff. Thanks for hanging with us. I uh, want to let you guys know uh, if you're getting close to that time where you're thinking about retiring, uh, you're about a year away, and my guess is here on a Monday morning, cold like it is, probably everybody's thinking about a good time to retire. But uh, if you're thinking about it, and uh, there are a number of different things you need to know. Aiden Marks is that guy. Uh, Medicare insurance advisors. He doesn't sell Medicare. He helps you um, get through any type of hurdles or scenarios that you're facing. For instance, um, he had a guy who had been putting off getting Medicare because he was healthy. He didn't need health insurance. He, he was feeling good. He, um, But he helped that guy get everything set up. He had to deal with a little bit of a small penalty uh, because he waited so long, but they got it dealt with. Uh, he got through it, moved through it quickly, and now he's got all the coverage that he needs. So Aiden Marks can help you with a number of things. So if you're tired of nonstop solicitation calls, you need a local agent, or maybe you're just confused, man, Aiden Marks can help you. He's local, he's knowledgeable, and he has a physical location. He's located right there in Daphne on Highway 98 across from Terry Thompson Chevrolet. You can go see him. He can come to you. There's never a fee for a service. So give Aiden Marks of Medicare Insurance Advisors a call. His number is 463 463- 0031. That's 463-0031. Aiden Marks, Medicare Insurance Advisors. Ryan Williams, Mr. Football in the state of Alabama, and he still has uh, two more years to go, is having quite a start in the outdoor track season. Uh, every week, uh, the state sends out their uh, AHSAA uh, spotlight in track. And at the Jim Tate Relays recently, Ryan Williams set a record this year in the 100-meter dash. Uh, he also won the 300-meter dash. He won the high jump. His 100-meter dash was 10.68, which was the fastest time. But get this, Mark. Finishing second right behind him was Foley Jr., Perry Thompson. As you know, Thompson and Williams are wide receivers who have already committed to Alabama. Speed never has a bad day, apparently. Can't teach it, can you? Nope. I've tr I've tried to learn it myself. It doesn't work. Oh, so by the way, uh, one of the other aspects. So we talked about that TCU Gonzaga game with the backdoor cover at the very last second. <clears throat> lot of lot of conversation being had about sportsmanship. Did you see the end of the FDU Florida Atlantic game where it was a yes. it was an eight point game yeah. and it was at the very end where both teams had kind of given up and letting the clock run down one guy for florida atlantic uh got a pass and everybody had stopped well he attacked the rim with like three seconds left tried a 360 and missed he got booed by the fans in attendance poor sportsmanship or play to the whistle play to the whistle Play to the whistle. And, and let me just say this. Yeah, a little bit of both, all right? Yes, and, and, and when you really look at the overview, it is poor sportsmanship. But here you are in an NCAA tournament game. 
your 15 minutes of fame or less than that. And I don't even know who this player is. And like I said, FAU is so underrated. I mean, people are like, like where are they from? I doubt many people could even tell you what conference they're in. They used to be in the Sun Belt. Now they're in Conference USA. They had an awesome season for a while. They were in the top 25. So you basically have a bunch of no names. Uh, except to the you know the coach and their you know small contingent of fans, and here's the guy with <laughs> seconds to go and you know loses it and, and say emotionally and decides well I'm going to go and make a statement at the end of the game yeah it's in a, in a sense if everybody stops playing it's poor sportsmanship we know that most teams dribble out now, but you know you, you I look at it from both ways I could see with this guy hey you know this is the NCAA tournament I'll never get a chance like this again. I'm going to go in, and he, and he missed it, though, right? Yeah, it was That's a, even embarrassing, It was though. a 360 windmill, yeah. and it was it looked like it was a 360, like, the other way. You know how right-handers will start and twist to the, you know, I'm terrible radio vision, but I'm showing you which way. He went the other way. I mean, it was an impressive dunk. What do you think, Nick? Even though he didn't get it, he, he didn't get the dunk to fall. You're up, you're up eight. The other team, three seconds left. They've given up. The game is over. He gets an outlet. He's by the three-point line. Everybody else kind of stops. He attacks the rim at the buzzer, misses the dunk, gets booed for trying to put another one up. Poor sportsmanship or play on at the NCAA tournament? Yeah, man. It, it may be your only time ever getting there, so why not try and beef up your point total? Did this change the point? If he had made it, would it change the point spread? I, I doubt. So. See, I don't know what the point spreads are for these uh, for these games, and, unless it's written up like it was with the Gonzaga. By game. By the way, you guys are terrible people. I know. You you dribble it out. You dribble it out. Well, I said, yeah, I said cares. I could understand that, but you know, in the heat of the moment, and it's an NCAA tournament game. If it was a regular season game, I I could see where I, I could understand. I wouldn't be happy if I was the coach, but. That's 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 our society today. Let's make a statement. Let's let's go on Instagram. Let's do all this. Let's let's get my name out there. Uh, it looks like Florida Atlantic was fifteen and a half point favorite. Oh, so, so it wouldn't it, have mattered. It, it wouldn't have mattered. They were that much of a favorite. Yeah, yeah. No respect. None. None for that little school up there in New Jersey. I'm you already know, drunk. Do you know? Do you know where Fairleigh Dickinson is located? What town? Not only do I, yeah, that's the more important thing. Not only do I not know, but nobody cares. I do. Nobody other than you. So I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. I saw that their uh, director of athletic media relations was a junior at the school. Yeah. Do you know why I care? Because they're from New Jersey. No. 58 minutes. You've mentioned it 12 times. No, no. It's not the reason. The reason is the town they're located is the town I was born in. That's all. That's different than being from New Jersey. I was born in that town. Okay. Did you think about going to school there? No. Why not? Because I was interested in going to a communication school which had a reputation. Oh. Like the blue bloods of communication. You didn't want to go to... That's right, blue bloods. You went to a blue blood of communications. You weren't going to the local community college or whatever it is. You know, it's unfortunate, but fairly Dickinson, people always refer to that as fairly ridiculous. They weren't this time, though. Rodney War is next. Talking to Alabama. Stay with us.
This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. Yep, here we are. 7.04, hour number two on a very chilly Monday. It's the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee from the studios of WNSP. We'll take your calls here in just a little bit. All right, the SEC's got three teams in the Sweet 16, Alabama among them. They will play Friday at 5.30 against San Diego State, Arkansas, and Tennessee. Do you think uh, Eric Musselman's going to have to have new shirts brought in just in case he wins again? Uh, just one. I mean, he put it back on. Oh, he did put it. He oh, yeah, oh, yeah, because he, he had to do oh, he the, po- it, he oh, he to do the post the, game. Okay, I didn't know. Yeah. I thought maybe he throws it to the crowd or something like that. No, no, okay. no, no. Uh, A couple of other uh, notes. A uh, first-time winner, Tyler Moore. Taylor Moore, I'm sorry. A one-shot winner at the Valspar. Joey Logano wins in Atlanta. Uh, baseball World Classic. The USA won easily over Cuba 14-2, to but another really good player. Not from this game, but from the weekend is out for a while. Jose Altuve was hit in the hand by a fastball. It's going to be out for at least two months. So, uh, and the Cowboys, here's a guy that we remember, Brandon Cooks, uh, former Saint, has been uh, traded by the Texans to the Cowboys. And then the Texans signed Laramie Tunsil, their tackle, to the a record-breaking contract, the richest contract for an offensive lineman. Alabama. They start spring practice today. Who better to get us started than Rodney Orff, Tider Insider? Rodney, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Lee. Mark, how are you guys? I guess it would be a safe comment to say that the quarterback position this year seems to be the priority this spring, and I'd like you to talk about that, what's at store, and some of the other priorities. Yeah, no question. I mean, I think certainly the, the quarterback situation, you lose Bryce Young. You've got Jalen Milrow, obviously, back, who started the game last year. You've got Ty Simpson, uh, a heralded guy that came in last year, uh, five-star player. And then you've got two young freshmen that have early enrollees, Eli Holstein and Dylan Lonergan. I mean, I think most people really believe this thing right now, as we head into spring, is, is a uh, – Ty Simpson, Jalen Milrow battle, and you know I think it's just a matter of you know allowing this uh, spring to play out. I will say this, uh, uh, Lee and Mark, uh, this is what I, I would think because of this portal and the way things are, the way kids think nowadays. I don't think either one of these, but both these guys are going to be here in August. I, I really think that a guy who doesn't feel real certain about his spot in terms of being the starter. I bet you one of those guys hits the portal, and I'm talking about either uh, uh, Ty Simpson or Jalen Milrow. Now, I'm not uh, you know, saying it, it's certain, a certainty, but I would say this. I would say I would be surprised if both those guys are here in August. I think a lot of people would agree with you. Do you think Simpson has, let's say, the upper hand based on what Nick Saban has done by bringing in an offensive coordinator? That seems to be the, the, the message I'm getting from some of those who follow the program. You know, I, I don't think uh, Nick Saban has any intentions of going backwards in terms of the style of offense. I, I do think that they want to change things, 
get back to more of a physical style up front, run the football. But I, I think they still want to keep that balance. I think they would love to be much like 2020 if they could or as close to it as they could in terms of running and passing. But, you know, being able to utilize – their explosive playmakers and and all of those things and and so from that standpoint the question is you know how much is Milrow going to improve as a passer how much has he improved as a passer I think that's a key for him I think Ty, Ty Simpson has all the tools I mean he's a guy that you know real strong arm accurate all of the things that 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 you need, um, but the question is, you know, he has no experience. How will he respond this spring? So I think all of those things are going to be really key. Are any players that you know being held out this spring based on surgeries, injuries? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we'll find that out probably tonight when Nick Saban talks because, again, there's no media, you know, opportunities. Um, we basically are limited to what, you know, Nick Saban provides, and I think we'll, he'll probably tell that tonight. Rodney Orr, tighter insider. What other positions do you have your eye on? Yeah, I think, you know, staying on offense, the offensive line is going to be really key. I mean, you've got some good players coming back. J.C. Latham's back. Uh, you know, Seth McLaughlin. Uh, the question is, you know, how, how are you going to fill in the spots? I think they've got some really good young players. I think Tyler Booker's going to be an outstanding player on the interior. Uh, Elijah Pritchett, uh, Caden Proctor is another guy. I think, I think Pritchett may be one of the tackle spots. Uh, Proctor could, he's got the versatility to play inside or outside. Uh, you know, you got some really other young players to go with Proctor that are going to be competing. Wilkin Formby here is a true freshman uh, from Tuscaloosa that I think's got a lot of potential. Whether or not you know he'll be ready uh, this coming season, I don't know. But eventually, he's going to be a really good player. So, uh, T.J. Ferguson's another veteran interior player. He's been around for a while, hasn't played a lot. Uh, he's going to have an opportunity this spring. So, I think that. I think you look at wide receiver. Uh, the, the name to really watch there, and I've been hearing this since he, he came in right before Christmas when he went to the bowl practices, Juco transfer Malik Benson. This guy's been really explosive. He's got a lot of tools. I think he's going to add an extra dimension there at the wide receiver spot that they've been missing. C.J. Dupree, the transfer tight end from Maryland's another name to really keep an eye on. Defensively, you know, Lee, when I look at it, I, I think I look at the secondary and I say you, you lost Helms in the, at safety. You lost uh, Jordan Battle. Eli Ricks at one corner. Uh, you, you lost Brian Branch. It's a lot of players, a lot of experience that you're losing. I do think they obviously have some guys coming back, whether it's Kool-Aid or, you know, even Terry and Arnold, who started some last year. You've got some guys with experience, a lot of talent uh, back there. It's just a matter of, you know, developing them this spring. I would also guess that besides the quarterback position, the fact that you have new coordinators might be a, a, a big story this, uh, this spring, too, also. What's going to happen with Rees with the offense? And, of course, Kevin Steele has been there before with the defense. Well, actually, I think it's a really good time for change with you know on the offensive side because you are changing quarterbacks and you've got Reese in. He's going to again. I think they want to get back to more physical running game. Uh, you know, rely more on that uh, somewhat. Uh, so I, I think we'll see that. I think you know defensively, Kevin Steele. I think it, it's obvious that he's he's from the Saban tree. He understands the Saban system. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see. I think Steele is going to bring a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. 
And, and honestly, I, I think that one thing he'll focus on fundamentally being much more sound, consistent tacklers. Uh, I, I think Kevin Steele's a really, really good hire. Let me ask you this. This Tony Mitchell, who was just arrested, charged with marijuana, incoming uh, football recruit, is he considered one of the, let's say, the, the, the top recruits that maybe would see playing time this coming fall? Uh, you know, he certainly would have had an opportunity. Uh, I don't think it was an expectation necessarily that Tony Mitchell would would be one of the guys that would be in the rotation in the secondary. But, you know, again, he, he's, he's very talented out of Thompson High School. Some people had him a five-star, probably end up a safety, played some corner in high school. But uh, I think most people felt like he was going to end up as a safety um, so, you know, again, his status, I'm sure that's a good one to go back to your previous question about who might not participate. I'm, I'm sure that, that Tony would be shelled for a while anyway, uh, but we'll find out probably tonight. Yeah, I was curious if Nick Saban is going to address that or somebody might bring that up. Uh, Tony Mitchell arrested last week in Florida. Uh, as far as the newcomers, the, the incoming class, the freshman class, who do you look for to, you know, step it up and maybe be a, a – well, We'll get a chance to see him in spring, but maybe a big part of the fall. Right. No, I think uh, Malik Benson, I mentioned him, the JUCO wide receiver. I mentioned Caden Proctor, you know, really competing for a spot there, the true freshman from Des Moines, Iowa, on the offensive line. Uh, I think they have a loaded running back room. You know that. But I think Justice Haynes is a guy that's uh, keep an eye on him out of Buford, Georgia. I think he's got some special talent. Um you know, defensively, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I think certainly Caleb Downs uh, at safety, uh, one of the top players in, the, in this last class, and I'm talking about nationally, uh, really talented guy. And there are others that I think could compete. Uh, you know, maybe Des Ricks, you know, makes a run at one of the corner spots. We'll see. You know, a lot of that will be obviously determined once they get out there. Uh, always great to have you on, man, especially here as we get ready to jump into spring. Rodney, tell everybody how they can get the uh, the latest and all the news from Tuscaloosa. Yeah, it's uh, com. It's only $48 a year, and you can get instant access with your credit card. Or if you prefer, there is an address there to send a check. Gives you all our premium information, but also our all-sports forum. That's our community of Alabama fans. I mean, it has been rolling with basketball, obviously the Tide doing really well in the NCAA tournament. And then also, as you mentioned, the start of spring practice, certainly a lot of buzz about that as well. Hey, man, have a great week. Thanks for jumping aboard with us. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Take care. All right, we know the Alabama basketball team still going. The women's team was defeated in the opening of the NCAA tournament, so they're eliminated. Uh, the Alabama baseball team, they uh, lost two out of three to Florida. The softball team, they're in action tonight on the SEC Network. Game three of their games against Arkansas. Just update some of the things that are going on up there in Tuscaloosa. All right, here comes your scoreboard traffic and weather. We'll do our Miller Lite Golf Report with John Ricchetti. And then at 730, Ryan Phillips, the Tuscaloosa Patch, wrote a very in-depth story uh, over the weekend in which he, uh, he saw video of the, the events leading up to the death of uh, Jamea Harris. So we will talk about that um, with him in depth. And it gives certainly a different narrative, a different, a different look at uh, 
how the events unfolded. So we'll do that at 7.30. And then Barry Dunning, Mobile native and Arkansas Razorback, scheduled for 8. Stay with us. Plenty left. Scoreboard traffic and weather are next. Hey, everybody. This is Gabe Gross, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5. here. It's the opening kickoff. Mark and Lee right here in the studios of WNSP. All right, you heard it. Let's hear from Johnny Ricchetti in the Miller Lake Golf Report. We had a first-time PGA winner, the Valspar Championship. Who was it? Well, uh, uh, good morning, guys. Yeah, another first-time winner on the PGA Tour yesterday in the former uh, Arkansas Razorback, age of 29. The journeyman picks up his first. His name is uh, Taylor Moore, who picked up the victory yesterday. And, uh, you know, and I, I thought the Valspar down the stretch had a lot of drama. Jordan Spieth in the mix, uh, Adam Shank also in the mix, and uh, last three or four holes uh, going back and forth, and Jordan hitting it in the water at the 16th hole, getting it up and down from 160. And, uh, you know, Taylor Moore, he had to he had to get it up and down on the last hole, actually just off the green from like 80 feet, putted, two putted for the win, and actually got in the clubhouse at 10 under par, and uh, he ended up winning with a one-shot victory. And then Jordan Spieth, obviously, uh, with that little uh, putt that he missed on the last hole, uh, was just a little costly for some money, but it had no bearing on him winning the tournament. But uh, he ended up tied for third along with Tommy Fleetwood. So all in all, uh, the Valspar on a tough, tough golf course. Uh, down in Florida, the Innisbrook, the Copperhead course played extremely tough. It's rare that we talk on the PGA Tour these days with a winner at a non-major at 10 under par. Uh, but that was the winning score, which was won by a first-time winner, uh, Taylor Moore. Also, for those who are following Live Golf uh, down in Tucson this weekend, uh, in a playoff, Danny Lee kept, picks up his first Live Golf. Uh, event down in Tucson. Also, Ernie Els winning in the Champions Tour this weekend. Uh, so a lot going on as we get inch closer and closer to the first major of 2023, Augusta National, with just a few weeks out. We'll be on the air tonight live at 6 o'clock from Terry Thompson Chevrolet with a complete recap of the world of golf. All right, Johnny, and we'll be looking forward to having you back with us Friday when we broadcast out at Spanish Fork. Appreciate it. You know, we have fun with the word guarantee. We have fun with Nick on it. We use that term every now and then. Mark, refresh my memory. When Rick Pitino, finally, you know, he was thrown to thrown to the uh, roadside by Louisville. And he got the job with uh, Iona. Didn't he, he? I don't know if he used the word guarantee, but didn't he say, this is my last job. I'm going to stay at Iona. I'm so happy. And now the report is that he is in the hunt, in the mix, and is being targeted by St. John's to leave Iona. Hmm. Just another coach with Coach Speak. Yeah. He uh, kind of a hot commodity there at at 70. He's a lot like Lee Shervanian, man. He says he wants to coach until he's 80. Yeah, well. That, you know what? There are a lot of things people want to do until they're Rick, 80. They can't Rick, always do Rick, it. Rick, get back in there. We need more storylines. Yeah. <laughs> because you kind of get like, Iona's a good basketball program, but they're kind of, you know, off on the distant future. They're not, uh, uh, you know, they're not, 
you don't get a lot of publicity about coaching Iona, but get back in there, and then we can have some more stories. All right. Uh, speaking of stories, the one we're coming up to next, we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk to Ryan Phillips of the Tuscaloosa Patch, the man who who watched video and gave a very very detailed narrative of what he saw in that video. I bring it up now because my guess is we're gonna go long with him because we have a lot of questions. But the short of it is. After reading that story, and I had to read it a couple times and take notes because there's so many names and so many details, there it gives the um, it gives a narrative that Darius Miles and Michael Davis were acting in self-defense, and that Cedric Johnson, the boyfriend, was the first to fire because he talks about seeing muzzle flashes coming from the car. Uh, and not only did he instigate and fire first, uh, he they actually circled the block looking for Miles and Davis. There was a separate incident that took place where there was a, uh, a fight that broke out amongst some girls. And I only bring that up because Miles and Davis appeared, and Brandon Miller at that point appeared, to try to break that up and de-escalate. Um, that's, the, that's the version, or that's the narrative that, that Ryan is is reporting and look i have no reason to 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 not believe what he is is reporting because he got access to this video um but it certainly paints a, a, another picture and a different very different picture and i'll say this too uh i have serious questions about this investigator culpepper because according to ryan's piece the only one he's really talked to is cedric johnson and Cedric Johnson has yet, and I quote, been successfully served a subpoena at this point, which tells me that they've tried to serve him, but they have not been able to. If you remember when you asked me about the ESPN report, which was very lengthy, and you asked me if it changed my opinion, and I think I said at that time, no, because I don't know. I don't really have an opinion until I hear both sides. I didn't use that terminology, but... I raised the question on the air, and I've talked to others off the air, including attorneys and everything, and I've said, what happens if these two were acting in self-defense, meaning what if Johnson had fired their first shot? Now, I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, until all the facts come out, and I'm also wondering, because I think, and we'll talk to Ryan about this in just a few minutes, if, in fact, you find out that the Alabama well, the one player, Darius Miles and his buddy there, were acting in self-defense. Does that change your mind at all about Brandon Miller? It also, I should also mention, Johnson told Culpepper details about when he got his gun, which are contradicted by the chain of events that you see in the video, at least according to Ryan Phillips. So we're going to get to all that Coming up next, right here on the Sports Station, WNSP and WNSP.com. Stay with us.
team making it to the regional. Alabama's one of 16 teams that's going to be playing on the regional week in Louisville. 7.32, welcome back in. The opening kickoff, Mark and Lee. That's a call from the Alabama game. Just one of the uh, two major stories uh, as it relates to Alabama basketball over the weekend, Lee. And uh, neither's going away. Uh, we're going to bring in Ryan Phillips now. I got a chance to talk to him yesterday. Thanks to you, Mark, uh, alerting me to the story. Ryan, first of all, good morning and welcome to the opening kickoff here in Mobile, Alabama. How are you today? Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, well, you, okay. I want to set the scene before we get to the story. What is Tus uh, Tuscaloosa Patch? Uh, we're a community news website, general interest, uh, you know, politics, crime, entertainment, business, things like that. Basically, like your yeah, your old school community newspaper. Um, been around for almost three years. It'll been launched three years in July. So, uh, like I said, just really excited to, uh, to be on here. All right. Are you affiliated with any newspaper? We're not. We're a national brand. We're in uh, roughly 1,400 markets across the country. All right. Uh, I've read the story that you posted on Tuscaloosa Patch. I want you to explain, before we get into details and ask you questions, what is your story based on? In terms of the, the evidence or well, sources, anything I, like I, that? Or? Did, you, did you have access to video? Do you, do you have access to an investigator? What, what went into collaborating some of this, the things you pointed out in a very lengthy and a very detailed and a very compelling story? Okay, well, going back to the beginning, I've, I've been on this story since the morning of the shooting. I was there for the perp walk when they brought out uh, Darius and Michael Davis after they were arrested. Uh, followed it all the way through, you know, at Coach Oates' press conference, was at the preliminary hearing, uh, and really just written about it every step of the way. Uh, and in doing that, you develop relationships, you know, things like that with sources. Uh, and then the, the latest big break was actually getting to watch extensive video evidence, uh, you know, from security cameras uh, that captured the the events leading up to and including the shooting. Uh, so with that, along with, you know, having access to like court transcripts, things like that, it was actually a lot more simple than I expected to compile this timeline uh, because it is. It's a combination of what I can see with my eyes uh, along with, you know, the, what I did see is verified by other people, too, who are very close to this. Uh, and then having the benefit of having that full court transcript because a lot of people that didn't realize that cameras weren't allowed in the courtroom, uh, recording devices weren't allowed in the courtroom during that almost three-hour preliminary hearing. So it is. I think that's kind of how the narrative might have gotten gotten off on the wrong foot for a lot of folks is because I mean that was, was a lot of information to process when all you have are your eyes your ears and your notebook right uh, so being able and some of the video was shown in court uh, that should be worth noting but not a lot of it so you uh, had Ryan you had access to video that others haven't seen am I interpreting that correct uh, I'm assuming so I don't know what uh, you know, any other outlets have seen haven't seen uh, but I, I do. I, I feel like the, the video evidence really paints the clearest picture of kind of how everything went down that night. All right. I, I, I set the stage for you now. Uh, All right. Mark, so let, let's get to some of the specifics here because what basically what the video has shown you without actually saying it, but it's pretty implied, is that these guys, these Alabama guys, Darius Miles and Michael Davis, were pretty much in, acting in self-defense and that Cedric Johnson – 
according to some muzzle flash you saw, was the first to uh, to fire. Is that what you're kind of concluding at the end of this? And I really do. I think that so much of it, again, without saying definitively, because we don't know, uh, that I think all of it hinges now on who fired first. Yeah. And just based on the video evidence, you know, my personal view of it that was then interpreted by several other people, that, that that was very compelling. Again, it's not conclusive, but it is compelling. I, I think people might lose sight of that. Um, because I, I've said every step of the way, you know, going back to to January, that, you know, anything that I write, all it's going to take is one piece of evidence to refute it. Um, but when you look at the entire timeline with this, you look at the progression of events, you look at the different contexts, like the fact that, they haven't been able to serve Cedric Johnson a subpoena. He's the only witness that the prosecution has, uh, as far as I can tell, at least that was was named in court. You know, they can't find him to serve him on a subpoena to speak at the capital murder trial for the mother of his child. I, I do. I think a lot of things are just very, very odd when you when you consider what the 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 sum of all its parts. Uh, especially like going back to, to how quickly things developed, how quickly the narrative developed around Darius and Mike with this case that, you know, they were charged with capital murder and trotted out for the TV cameras less than 24 hours after the shooting. Um, and I, 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 don't, I never want to, I've been, I've said this on several shows already that I in no way want to disparage the work of the investigators, uh, the, the prosecution, they've all got jobs to do. I think that's very important. Um, but I, I, I do. I, I, after seeing what I've seen and then contextualizing it with everything that came out in court, it it just seems like we're at a completely different place now than we were a couple months ago. Yeah. So I want to get into uh, I want to get into Cedric Johnson, and I also want to get into Culpepper. But let's get into Johnson first because I thought it was interesting that you pointed out in your report. So Johnson saying that. Basically, what happened for those that aren't familiar with the story was uh, Davis was essentially hitting on Johnson's girl, right? Right in front of Johnson. That's basically Johnson told him to move along. Now, according to Johnson, it was Davis that kind of got belligerent. But what I thought was interesting was that Asia Humphrey uh, was in the car and didn't hear any threat from Michael Davis um, directed at Harris. So all of a sudden, I'm questioning now Cedric Johnson and his in his narrative for lack of a better term and he was he was the the first person interviewed by police immediately after the shooting uh, as far as we can tell and it seems like they hinged a lot of of their initial narrative and in, you know finding probable cause to to charge both Darius and Mike with this case that you look at the and it, and that, I'm trying to think of like the best place to start with that because it is convoluted. Can you restate your question? I'm sorry. No, I just thought it was interesting that it was Cedric Johnson that has this narrative about how Michael Davis kind of got belligerent because right. you know he told him to move along. But but the only one that can really corroborate that for Cedric Johnson was Asia Humphrey, and it's being reported right. that Asia was like, I didn't hear any threat. Like so, so automatically now after reading your story, I'm questioning anything and everything Cedric Johnson says. Then there was the timeline about when he actually had his gun, and you kind of touched on that. And he got out of his car, and he was favoring his right hip, and he went over to see Green. Um, and so that 
that seems inaccurate from Cedric Johnson's standpoint. It just seems like after reading your your story that Cedric Johnson's full of uh, stuff at this point. <laughs> and and that, that's a, a good point bringing up uh, – the, the clips that show him walking across the street visibly. He's got his right hand concealed. Um, yeah. Whereas he hadn't before. He's on video prior to that walking back to, to the car and has a bag of food in his hand uh, and isn't, you know, kind of favoring his right hip. But I think that's interesting when you look at because I, I put this in the story that it takes longer to read the story than yeah. the entire progression happened. Um that when you see the Jeep on Grace Street, when it pulls in behind Brandon Miller's car, uh, and then Michael Davis runs up almost immediately to the driver's side, the, the, gun, the gunfire starts right there. Uh, you know, and it's worth noting that, that Michael Davis got hit twice before he fired the shot that seems to have been the one that, that killed Jimmy Harris. Um, so, uh, again, it's not conclusive, but it is compelling. Um, uh, and then, and we're I'm sorry, I didn't mean, sorry. To, I, I didn't mean to cut you oh, off. No, go ahead. But go I, ahead. I think to that point, though, and, and I thought it was it, it was interesting that you brought up – so it was a wild night on the strip anyway because there was another fight that took place among a bunch of women. But as you're reporting, based on what you saw, guys like Miles and Davis and I think even Brandon Miller, correct me if I'm wrong – even tried to de-escalate that situation. I only bring that up because they were clearly in a mindset where they weren't looking to get into any type of uh, skirmish or altercation. Is that accurate? Is that a fair assessment? Uh, and yeah, you never see Brandon get out of the car during all the the fighting between the women near CVS. But it is. It was a fight that involved uh, Darius's girlfriend, Skyler. Uh, you can clearly see her on the video. That's why I thought it was really important to mention, like, her white boots because yeah. it's so easy to spot, you know, uh, because it, it's nighttime. You can't see faces or anything like that, but you can see clothes. Um, so you can see them trying to, to break that fight up, get everybody to, you know, kind of disperse. And then it's like at that time, you know, all, all in a matter of a, a, a couple of minutes, you see that Jeep circling. And then it pulls in, you know, one of the, the pieces of video evidence that was so startling to me was when the Jeep pulls up, right before the shooting, when the Jeep pulls up to the yield sign at Grace Street, and you can see, like, they would have had Michael Davis in immediate eye shot, you know, as soon as they pulled up, but he's walking the opposite direction, and they kill their lights. Yeah. So uh, Right there. But that's, you know, I, to me it just seemed very eerie when you stack it up with their story was oh that we were lost we're trying to, to find a way to get out of town yet you have a university of alabama student in the car you have gps on your phone um you know and it's it it, it just doesn't check out i, I hate to because that is that's pure speculation on my part it's for a jury to decide but right it it just does not check out with the narrative that we were we're led to believe especially you know again reiterating that no one has been able to track down Cedric in any of this to get him to testify. So, so why and can't he, he shot? He shot somebody twice, right? You know, but he hasn't been charged. Um, I, I do. I think that's that's odd, or not charged, but hasn't had to testify in court. So why can't uh, so they I, find I him? Think, yeah, that's odd. Why can't they find this guy? Uh, from everything I can gather, I talked to uh, one of the people who has tried to serve him 
on subpoenas. They have just had a very hard time finding him. Yeah, the other guy mentioned in the story, uh, Shabonte Green. Yeah, they were able to serve him on a subpoena, but I, I mean, I was in court when they they called him to testify, and he was nowhere to be found. Um, yeah, he just didn't show up. So, Okay, so Ryan Phillips, Tuscaloosa Patch, joining us here on WNSP. All right, let's get to Culpepper because Culpepper seems to be based all his, I don't want to say conclusions, but based all his, his, his investigation on just Johnson's testimony, uh, he couldn't think of the other guy's name in the passenger seat of Brandon Miller's car, which I thought was an interesting detail he couldn't remember. Um, and then he kind of downplayed the idea that uh, the gun was being passed from Harris to Johnson, right? Isn't he the one that said it, it could have been as like it could have been food for? Uh, I mean, he just they're just. It seems like if you're investigating, you would want to get a little bit more uh, balanced and well-rounded. Like talk to more people. It just seems odd that he talked to the one guy that officials can't seem to subpoena. Well, and again, just to, to reiterate, uh, those investigators have a job to do. Uh, I said this on a radio show the other day. My dad actually worked in this same homicide unit. I was the commander of it for a while. Uh, so I, I really have an intimate knowledge of what these guys go through. Uh, so, again, I in no way want to to say anything ill of, of Investigator Culpepper for doing his job. I think Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven times a day Where the people laugh and children play Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A All right, ladies and gentlemen, quickly, we have some Chick-fil-A for you guys. Hit us up, Lee. What do you got? Well, it's going to be about Princeton. I, I Let's see. we got a minute or two. I just want to, uh, years ago, Mark, when I, was, I really followed college basketball back in the 60s in Princeton, the last time they made it to a third round, they took on Michigan. And if those who are my age can remember, Bill Bradley for Princeton and Cassie Russell for Michigan. But let's get to the present now. So Princeton is a 15 seed. They're the only, I'm sorry, they are the fourth 15 seed to ever reach the Sweet 16. Last year, it was St. Peter's. Two years t- prior to that, it was Oral Roberts. For your Chick-fil-A, tell me the first team ever as a 15 seed to make it to the Sweet 16. If you know the answer, 694-1055, and our good friend Nick's ready to get your name. Uh, you guys are in the app. Uh, thanks for having him on. The guy is a professional. Uh, y'all could have done an entire show with Ryan. Yeah, we could have done an entire show with him. Um, so, uh, someone asked, did Harris pass the gun to Johnson? We don't know for sure, but according to the story, there was, she did reach in the glove compartment, turn around and hand uh, Johnson something. Now, the video doesn't show exactly what it is because Culpepper was saying it could have just as easily been food as a gun. Like, you don't know specifically it was a gun, but as Ryan pointed out, there is a point where Harris gets out of the car. He's favoring the right hip. He's got his hand on his right hip, and he walks across the street to uh, talk to this other guy. Now, what makes that interesting is, one... It seems like you don't put a taco or a roast beef sandwich on your hip. 
So yes, I think it's fair to assume, although we shouldn't assume anything at this point, that it was a gun. But two, that's also contradictory to Johnson's statement about when he got the gun. All right, so there are a lot of holes in Johnson's story based on the video that that uh, that Ryan saw, and I, it's all in his story. I'll have to put the the link to the story in the app in case you hadn't seen it or read it. Um, someone wanted to know from Ken. Want to know what happens to Miles if they are found not guilty? What does the university do? That remains to be seen. Yeah. First, he's got to be found not guilty. Yeah. So. Um, but it's, we'll continue to talk about it. Continue firing your questions to us or your comments in the app uh, over the next hour. We'll try to answer as many of them as we can based on what we know from that story. Uh, and I'll put the link in the app here when we come back. All right. Barry Dunning is up. The uh, former uh, McGill star now with the Arkansas Razorbacks. The Razorbacks are advancing. And Auburn assistant coach Chad Pruitt set to join us at 830. So it's a busy Monday. Stay with us right here on the sports station WNSP. the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com the latest sports news traffic weather and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian the opening kickoff kickoff here are Mark and Lee all right hour number three here on a busy Monday welcome back in it's 804 the opening kickoff, Mark and Lee, from the studios of WNSP. SEC, three teams going to the uh, Sweet 16, the Big East with three. Big Ten had only one, and that was Michigan State. Kind of a surprise that they're the only ones. The ACC had one team, that's Miami. As you look at the uh, schedule, uh, Alabama, uh, as a uh, overall number one seed, will take on San Diego State. This coming uh, Friday in Louisville, that uh, will be the first of four games at night. Miami-Houston, also Princeton-Creighton, Xavier against Texas. And then on Thursday, we've got two SEC schools that are going to be in action. One is Arkansas. After their thrilling win to get to the Sweet 16, Arkansas will be taking on UConn, which I think has the makings of a terrific game because both like the up-tempo. That follows Michigan State and Kansas State, FAU and Tennessee that night, Gonzaga and UCLA. Let's talk to former McGill Tulin uh, standout, two-time Gatorade Player of the Year in Alabama, Barry Dunning. Barry, we've had you on many, many times. We uh, congratulate the Arkansas team, and uh, congratulations to you, the fact that you're going to uh, the Sweet 16. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, can you tell us what the celebration was? There as much of a celebration after your terrific win on Saturday? Uh, most definitely. If you, you know, saw like a lot of videos on social media, like Instagram or Twitter, uh, after Coach Munch did his interviews and we was waiting for him to get back in the locker room. As soon as he got in the locker room, we had like waters and he was pouring on them. And you know, it was a great atmosphere to be around. You know, a lot of people didn't think it was going to be Kansas and. You know, I feel like we didn't do the impossible. We did something that we was expected, and we know we could do. You know, Barry, it, it kind of looked like the 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 locker room at Garrett Coliseum last year, except it was actually a a, a nicer locker room you guys were in. Uh, yes, it was. It was, <laughs> uh, it was really, 
good locker room. It's a nice place too. The arena is great. Like, like well, and um, I think the Timberwolves G League team plays there as well. So, why don't you give us kind of your viewpoint of the the victory, the come from behind win against Kansas? What it took at the end to get that win? You know, you know, it all starts with prep, and you know, we've been prepping. Uh, after that game against Illinois, and you know our coaches, you know they keep us prepared with the uh, with the scout reports and you know reading our scout reports. There's a lot of prep going into it. So going into the game, you know we came in there, we had a lot of energy. I mean we felt confident in each other, and we knew that we could win. And you know we came in that game, and yeah, it was some up and downs, it was some scares, and it was some woes. But you know, like ever since maybe since we got here, coach, you know, been training us to. You know, mentally been training us for those like times in the game where we, you know, have to make big plays and execute uh, our offense and sit down, lock up on defense, and you can see that it just came to play at the end of the game. Was there a point in the game where you felt, hey, we're going to win this game? Did certain something happen or a play materialize? Let's say in the second half, where in your own mind you say, you know what, we we may take down the Jayhawks. Shout out to my. Uh, my roommate, Jordan Walsh, my former roommate, but uh, when he hit that dagger three to go about one, I just knew that we was ready. And then coming down on defense, you could just tell, like, the orb, this guy was just locked in. And so right there, I just knew, like, I was just saying on the bench, like, this is our game. Like, this is for sure our game. So I think that moment right there in the second half, well, I just knew that was our game. How crazy is this, Barry, that, you know, this time last year, you were just coming off a, a Final Four appearance in high school, and now you're in the NCAA tournament. You're on your way to the uh, Sweet 16. How how similar and how very different uh, are those two experiences? I say being similar, the stakes are high. Uh, but the difference is it's a bigger stage. You know, the NCAA is one of the most prestigious tournaments. Uh, also, uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of prep that go into it. And it's just a lights are brighter, and you know the, the talent level and the competition level is very high. So I say those like the, the similarities and differences. Barry Dunning, former McGill standout, former Alabama standout in this state in high school. Barry, uh, Eric Musselman gives the impression during a game, of course, that he is very demonstrative. Uh, he he does some things which obviously the cameras like. Is he that way in practice? I would say he's like, I think he's more passionate about the game because uh, he just want to see us uh, do good. Uh, he wants to win. We all want to win. And I think when you meet a group of guys and the coaches that are compassionate about something they know to do, you know, you'll go all out for each other and just play hard. And you can see that we beat Kansas on Saturday that, you know, we was all compassionate. We really cared and that we felt like we deserved. We put enough work in to go to the next round. How much of a difference did it make when Nick Smith came back from his injury to this lineup? Uh, I think it made a, a big difference in a positive way. Uh, Nick Smith is a great guy on and off the court, and his scoring ability is out of this world. And just having him on the court helps a lot. You know, it's good to have always have a teammate back. And you know, a lot of people say he might came and like messed it up, but we know what we know what happens in that locker room. We feel like Nick Smith helps us a lot, and you know, shoot, you know, I feel like Nick's gonna have a, a good game next game. Barry Dunning is our guest here on WNSP. Uh, you can follow Barry on Twitter at Barry Dunning Six. All right. So, how often does this man take off his shirt? Is it just during big victories? Does he do it a lot more frequently than we than we're used to? Because he certainly made a statement there at the end of the game. 
I think it's more of like big victories, good times. You know, take your set off. Uh, memorable moments, you'll do it. Uh, you know, I, I didn't expect him to take his set off, but, you know, <laughs> that was one of the Like, he kind of shot me. Like, I was celebrating. And then, I, you know, I hugged somebody. I turned around. I was like, oh, snap, uh, must got his set off. So, it's like, man, this is a big victory. But I think it was the right occasion to do it because a lot of people really thought we were going to Kansas. And we shocked the world. Uh, do you ever suspect that maybe Philip Murphy might take his shirt off in celebration at some point in his career? I hope he does. I really hope <laughs> yeah, he does. You hope he does? I, I kind of so. hope he doesn't. I think so. <laughs> I think so. He probably, I don't know. I think so. Sorry, Coach, but I really think, I really think he will, though. I really think he will. You know, I've seen Arkansas in person, Barry. they got some great, great athletes out there. Uh, Devontae Davis, who you don't hear much about, had a spectacular game and, and maybe was the catalyst. Ricky Council also carried you Saturday. But you also have, as you mentioned, Nick Smith and, you know, several others, Kamari Johnson. Who, in practice, who's the toughest one for you to, to guard against? Or who, who impresses you the most in practice? You know, all my teammates, you know, have something different about their game, unique about their game. And, you know, in practice, we all kind of hard to guard each other. But I say the the most hardest person to guard, I say, is Ricky because I always guard him all the time. Um, it's just something about his shot. It's kind of like abnormal. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like you think you timed it right to block it, but it go, it, it's hard to. And then, you know, his hook shots, his bank shots, it's just like you can tell he really been in the gym working. I really say the second person is bold because, I mean, he gets so low to the ground. His ball handling skills are A1, and, you know, I haven't beat him in a 1v1 yet. So, uh, yeah, so I feel like those are two people, you know, kind of really hard for me to guard, really. So, Barry, what's been the biggest adjustment for you from a, from a basketball standpoint? Is it is it the speed of the game? What What's been the biggest adjustment? Uh, I'll say the biggest thing is just the speed of the game. Um, I tell the story a lot of people when I first came in, and, you know, we scrimmaged the first day in the summer. I had six turnovers back to back to back. And, uh, you know, it was just freshman jitters, you know, yeah. and just I think over time, watching film with my, the coaching staff and, you know, working out and learning, I just learned, like, to slow down, play at my own pace. I think that's the biggest thing, just playing at your own pace and things slowing down for you and, um I just say that's the biggest thing is the speed of the game. And once you, like, figure all that out, I mean, the rest is, like, the rest is coming to you. What's your uh, travel schedule now? Uh, you'll be taking on our, uh, Connecticut. What, when do you leave? And just give us the details. Uh, right now, I think we'll be leaving sometime Tuesday, I think, maybe. I know we play on Thursday, so we'll be leaving sometime soon. And, um, you know, we did a little prep yesterday last night after the game and I think we really need that. I think that was good for us. So, you know, today we're from the prep, go to practice and just prepare for UConn. They don't expect you to do any schoolwork this week, do they? Uh spring break, so Oh nice. You know, they all lined up perfectly. <laughs> they all lined up perfectly. Spring break, so all we can do is just focus on basketball and get another win. Hey, uh, uh, not that not that you care, but I, I couldn't help but notice, man. You know, in high school, you're always like the tallest guy out there. Man, when when you're among all those guys in Arkansas, you're, you're it almost looks like you're one of the shorter guys now. Oh, most definitely. Uh, our shortest guy is probably D four, and he's like six four, six yeah. three. 
And like, I mean, being a being top, like around those guys like Kamadi Johnson and Jordan Walsh and the Twins, the uh, Mitchell Twins, and you know Jalen Gray. Like, I'm like, whoa, like. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of short, but uh, you know, I'm pretty. I, you know, compared to some other people, I'm pretty tall too. So, you know, I'm getting them both. Worlds, you know, I'm getting two of both worlds. All right. So, uh, what what's been your like the best moment? Uh, what was the best moment of your high school career, and what has been the best moment of this past year with Arkansas? My best moment, um, or your favorite. I I have to say two two of my best moments. My two of my best moments were my freshman year, and we went to um, we went to Orlando, Florida to go play in a tournament. I think at Windermill Prep, I believe. Uh huh. And we went to the tournament there, but it wasn't just us winning the tournament. Just like me, you know, being me, me being my seniors, and you know, just enjoying it because I remember one thing Coach Mesmer told me was, you know, outside of all of it, you just have to enjoy the process, enjoy being where your feet are at. I mean, I take it to, I take that advice and take it to like right now. Like, I never forget that. And my second friend memory of high school is my senior year, and uh, when we, I think, I think who we played is when we played Huffman. Um, I don't know when I was in that locker room. It was just like I just felt like everybody was ready, everybody was locked in, nobody was afraid, and I was just like that was like the first time I ever seen like everyone like truly locked in. I was like, whoa. Like from Ray to Alex to Devin to Bennett to Miles, everyone was just locked in and we just played hard. I said that's my like, even though we lost, I mean I was still proud of my team and my favorite moment uh Arkansas, I have to say that Kansas win for sure. I had to be the Kansas win for sure. Have you ever been to Vegas before? Never been to Vegas. I'm curious. I don't even know if you know the details. I'm wondering: Are you staying in one of those casino hotels, or <laughs> are you staying? And the reason I ask because I've been with basketball teams before, Barry. And if you're underage, they actually have an escort where they take you. Somebody will be with you to make sure you don't go and start working the machines or anything like that. If you're underage, that that happened when I traveled with South Alabama, and we'd be in casinos and things like that. But I find I, I bet it's going to be a. I, hopefully, it'll be a very uh, enjoyable trip for you. And that would be, of course, if you can come away with a win in, or two and get to the Final Four. Most definitely. I've never been to Vegas before. They said talk about like the strip and just the atmosphere and the little saying like what happens in Vegas stay in Vegas. So you know, I'm kind of excited. <laughs> oh God, but this is my first time. I don't really think we'll say casino hotel because you know I think we got to lock in, you know, for the game. But uh, I'm ready to enjoy this new experience going to Vegas. So on to it. Hey, well, congratulations. And I got to believe that the food's just going to be flowing. I know how you like to eat, especially on those road trips, Barry. So don't eat too much now. I won't. I won't. I'll try my best, though. I'll try try my best. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations, man. It's been a hell of a ride. It's been fun to watch, and we wish you guys the best of luck. Enjoy it. Thank you. That's uh, Barry Dunning, ladies and gentlemen. I actually covered a basketball game in Vegas, Mark. South Alabama was playing, I think it was San Diego State. That's a name you'll hear a lot this week. And I'd have to check back. It was either San Diego or San Diego State. And the retired uh, Hall of Fame coach, Jerry Tarkini, was invited by 
Ronnie Arrow to come to the game. But it wasn't like in an, an arena. It was like kind of like in a basement, if you will, a makeshift basketball floor in this hotel. The Jags won by just a couple of points. It wasn't a very exciting game, and, and Coach Tarkanian fell asleep during the game. Oh. I think I remember you saying that, yeah. Yeah, I did. I, I just, it's fascinating to me how sports used to check out when it came to Vegas. Oh, we don't want to be associated with gambling and all that, and yet all the games that are being played in that city now. All right, scoreboard traffic and weather next. Stay with us right here on the Sports Station WNSP. Offensively, Gonzaga. Back in familiar territory. The Zags make it eight straight. Sweet 16. All right, 826, boys and girls. Welcome back. The opening kickoff continues. They didn't define that last shot, Mark, which changed the point spread. That was the point of the audio. That Gonzaga had this game won by more than whatever, I guess it was four and a half, you said, or something like that. or I don't remember the point spread, four but the three-pointer uh, at the end, uh, and that knocked the, uh, the victory to a three-point, and that changed the betting outcome. Yes. So, uh, and just brutal. It was a, it was a, uh, it was over. They rolled the ball. They were down six. They roll the ball past half court. Dude just launched it from a little bit past half court. Hits nothing but net. It goes from six to three you know, in .7 seconds. Yeah, we talk about sportsmanship. You mentioned earlier about the FAU player that went in for the 360, even though he didn't make it. His time ran out, and everybody's standing still. So there was a game, and, and again, they all flow together. And there was a game in which the team that had the lead, and a kind of a big lead, and the game was kind of over. But the... The, they still had time on the clock. In other words, you have your, your shot clock as well as the game clock. So you, you still had to get the shot away in your 30 seconds. And I was wondering, do you just dribble out and just give them the ball back or do you take a shot? They did take a shot because, again, you really have – well, you have a choice, but seriously, you're trying to play play the game and you have the ball. And even though the other team knows they've, they've lost in the final seconds – you know, you still have to get a shot away in 30 seconds before the game clock, you know, expires. And, you know, they I forget the game I was watching, but it brings up a point. What do you do? I mean, what is good gamemanship, especially in the NCAA tournament or any tournament for that matter or any game when the other team just dribbles out or you have the ball and you know you've won the game? Do you just dribble out? And in some cases, we saw that did not happen. So no, they went you, in for the you shot. dribble out. You dribble out. Because like you said, in the in the Gonzaga game, now, that was the team that was losing, TCU. Yeah, yeah that's different. So you, you go for it, right? Yeah, that's different. But, no, he should have dribbled out, and um, and he knew it. I think that team knew it. Uh, it it's it's poor sportsmanship. So, uh, but whatever. I mean, and look, the, the fans reacted immediately to it. They booed him. You don't see that very often. That goes to show you how... Uh, well, you know, a lot of guys just, in sports was, play it because of me. You know, when they pound their chest all the time, that's yeah. something I really don't like. You know, these, some of these players, I pound the chest like, oh, wow, wow. You know, like, look what I did. Yep. Well, I mean, it's rampant in all sports. It but is. It's highlighted probably as much right. in basketball as any other sport. Unless, of course, you're a wide receiver. 
And in that case, they probably get a lot of the spotlight, too. Chad Pruitt is next, right here on the Sports Station WNSP. standard and so I'm grateful and um, I want them to feel really good about the fact that they had a good year but uh, if you know me I'm on to the next play and uh, I'll be recruiting tonight 832 that's the voice of Auburn basketball coach Bruce Pearl it's the opening kickoff Mark and Lee from the studios of WNSP all right let's uh, continue on Talking about the NCAA tournament, uh, Bruce, of course, uh, in uh, Birmingham Saturday. Houston won that game. Auburn played a terrific first half. Things didn't go their way in the second half. And let's find out why from assistant coach Chad Pruitt, who joins us. I really appreciate you coming on, uh, Chad. How you doing this morning? Good morning. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing today? Pretty good. So let's just talk about one half of basketball. Terrific not so terrific in the second half. You could look at the stat sheet, and, and obviously watching the game, the missed free throws, is it easy just to pin that on the missed free throws, or were other things happening in that second half? Well, look, uh, you know, first of all, you got to give Houston a lot of credit because the way the way they came out and guarded us in the second half was, was not how <laughs> the intensity that they had in the first half. And, of course, you know, we had a lot to do with that in the first half, played probably – our best half of basketball all year. Yeah, that's what uh, we had uh, a guest on earlier and, and said as much. What did they, when you said they guarded you differently in the second half, just the intensity? Yes, yeah, yeah. They really pressured the ball, made every pass difficult. Um, and But to be honest with you, even even with all that, we were prepared for that. I think we got really good shots. We didn't take advantage of of uh, you know finishing the possession, uh, you know many times those were fouls and and, and some of those uh, unfortunately ended up in some missed free throws, um, but we got we got some pretty good looks. Uh, I I think the run that we had in the first half, uh, you know maybe even led by Trey Donaldson there in in that run, was a, a huge part of that. You know we never had any kind of run at all in that second half. Chad, how do you sum up this season for Auburn? Yeah, I mean, obviously we all are trying to cut down the nets, and you know, and that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to win the whole thing, and you know, uh, a lot of times that can get lost in the shuffle. That, that you're trying to win championships. You know, we had, you know, pre had won three out of the last five championships uh, in, in SEC play. Um, so obviously a little disappointed we weren't we had you know not able to kind of accomplish that. But I think overall uh, a really solid season. I think obviously we had some really high highs and some low lows we didn't really lose to a bad team but we had so many good teams if not great teams on the ropes and you know I couldn't couldn't take advantage of those at the end for the most part Chad Pert our guest here on WNSP when you look at uh, that when you go into halftime in any game I mean we can certainly reference Saturday's game how much of of what you do at halftime is keeping your guys mentally focused and locked in It, it would just be human nature I don't know if relaxed is the word or maybe overconfident, but you go with a double-digit lead. Meanwhile, in, in, in the other locker room, there's a sense of urgency, and I'm sure you've been on both sides of that coin. How, how much of what you do at halftime of any game is 
mentality, focus, locked in, as opposed to X's and O's, or we need to do this better or do this differently? You know, I would say a combination. I think the first thing that we always start with and end with is, you know, is trying to be locked in, trying to talk about the first four minutes. You know, uh, many, many games are swung the other direction in the first four minutes of the yeah. second half. And you look back you look back at Saturday, and that, that was exactly the case. Uh, we felt it would, would come. We felt like we'd get their best shot early. Um, you know, our goal was to try to withstand that. We knew they were going to make a run. Look, that's, that's – that could be the best team in college basketball. Them, them or Alabama are obviously very, very close, uh, and both have different type of strengths. But two, two incredible teams. Um, you know, so we knew obviously they were going to make a run. You know, what we didn't count for is you know, at one time we were you know two for eighteen or something from the field. And, you know, and you, you got to be able to continue to score. Um, you know, obviously they did. Uh, they had some players that really stepped up and, and, and made some plays for them offensively. Trey Donaldson, you mentioned him. Actually, I think he played some of his best basketball in the tournament. As far as the freshmen you had this year, I know Treyor really did not post a lot of numbers. Westry was in and out of the lineup and mostly out. So what is the, what is the future of these three with the Auburn Tiger basketball team? Well, we look forward to having all three of them and continue to build. You know, in this day and age, you never know. Um, you know, part of what will happen in the next couple of weeks is we'll talk to each of our guys and, and talk about the future and see what that looks like. You know, we expect all three of them to be back. Um, we expect to be able to bring in, you know, uh, a really good point guard next year um, that we've already committed. And, and I think, you know, for the most part, you know, try to put some pieces around them. You know, we're we're excited about what we've done at Auburn basketball. Obviously, we came up a little short, but I'm uh, really excited about the future. Chad, is it possible that everybody on this roster except for Jasper could return next year because of the COVID year? That is correct, yes. So how does that, I mean, what does that leave you as far as going out? Uh, you know, Bruce Pearl said in the statement prior to you coming on about going out to recruit. How many players can you bring in then? Not knowing, this is where it gets complicated, not knowing who's staying and who's going. Yeah, and look, every 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 program is going through what we're you know we're about to go through. Either they have already, or they will be as soon as they're finished playing. You always try to assess your team after the season. Um, you talk about future plans. You know, are, are there any guys that are going to try to to go pro, whether that's overseas or try to you know G League, et cetera? You know, are, are there guys that are looking to transfer? You know, I don't know any of those answers yet. Um, that's what we'll be doing in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and and again, unlike other years, you've always had kind of a one and done player. I don't. Is there such a player on the team this year? Uh, well, obviously you can't from the freshmen. None of them really did much, you know, except in the tournament with uh, Donaldson. But is Broom a possibility? Has he has he any indication whether he might want to stay? Yeah, again, I mean, you know, the only we obviously don't talk about that at all during the season. So none of those conversations have happened. Um, that's you know, all these conversations will happen in the next week or two. So, you know, looking forward to going in and sitting down with our guys and and uh, you know, talk about you know our shortcomings and and you know how we're going to continue to improve to get where we want to get to. SEC has three teams in the Sweet 16. Does that justify the feeling of many that the SEC, along with the Big 12, was one of the top conferences, if not the best this year in uh, college basketball? 
Yes, no doubt, no doubt. And I think I think what you'll see, you know, the common thread with all three of those teams, and, and really probably all eight of the teams, the SEC teams, was the athleticism. The athleticism in the in the SEC is incredible, and, and, and in my opinion, at the top of the list. And you know, you see guys that are that are making plays, but very very physical. It's a very physical league. You look at the Tennessee Duke game. The physicality of Tennessee bothered Duke. You know, um, the, the physicality and athleticism of, of Arkansas. Arkansas, you know, uh, you know, bothered Kansas, and and obviously we know Alabama's got a great team in a lot of different ways. But I think that's the biggest thing that sets, separates the SEC from other other leagues. There's a lot of great leagues and a lot of great basketball teams, but the, the physicality and athleticism is, is second to none. All right, I think Houston moves into the uh, Big Twelve, but I want to ask you just a hypothetical: How would Houston have fared in the SEC this year? You know, I would probably say that them and Alabama would have been, you know, at the, at the very top. Um, you know, this is an older team, an older Houston team that has um, uh, <laughs> incredible amount of physicality and toughness. Uh, that's what Kelvin Sampson's prided himself on and done an incredible job of that. Um, you know, obviously Alabama and, and Houston did play earlier in the year. I think Alabama was able to win that game, but a very good game. Um, they would have done very well. You know, and I don't know. You know, people say, "Well, how would they do this year?" You know, over over the course of eighteen games, how many they were. You know, I don't. I definitely think they would have probably lost a couple, but um, it's a very, very good and talented team. Chad, uh, something you said kind of piqued my interest there because you talked about how athletic the SEC is. I've always, I've thought for years, decades, that the SEC has always had the most athletic players. But maybe the basketball skill was better in other conferences. But I feel like here over the last few years that that basketball skill has has drastically improved in the conference to to go with that athleticism. Is that is that fair? Very fair. And I think if you look back at the recruiting classes um, over the last few years, and then you look, then, then you pair that with some incredible coaching. I mean, look at yeah. look across the league, and the, and the coaching is uh, again second to none. And, and and there's no you know there's no doubt that the SEC is if not one of the if not the best one of the best leagues in the country. And then finally, I would say and, and there was a lot of talk over the weekend about I, I don't know if parity is the right word in college basketball, but Maybe the, the gap between the elite and the rest of the country just isn't as big anymore. Uh, and, and maybe seeding is a little bit of maybe misleading for fans going into certain games. Where do you stand on that? Could, could you see that argument being made after seeing some of the tournament games this year? 100%. And look, you know, people always talk about that when we're in our non conference part of the schedule, you know, and, and they see that these teams get beat by, by mid-major teams and people act surprised. And it is, for those of us that are in, they're in coaching and we see it, the margin is very, very slim between where we are and some of the better mid-major teams. Um, and so, you know, any kind of an off night or any kind of a, a hot night on their part, and those, they're, they're beating SEC, yeah. they're beating Big 12 teams, they're beating Big 10 teams. And, and so for, for us, especially, you know, you go back and look at some of the analysts analytics uh, with Ken Palm and some other, other of those uh, analytical sites, um, you're, you're able to kind of see that Arkansas went 8 and 10 in the league. They were like number 18 or 19 in Ken Palm. This is a very, very, very talented, um, very good basketball team. You know, um, San Diego State, another team that, that if you look at the metrics, they're very good. And so you can't get caught up, or at least we don't get caught up in the seeds. Um, you got to look at the individual team. 
Hey, we really do appreciate you uh, coming on today and throughout the basketball season, man. It was a uh, it was a hell of a run there, and we appreciate it. We look forward to doing it again soon. Hey, no question, man. Great to catch up with you guys. Y'all take care. Where you? Chad Pruitt, ladies and gentlemen. Earlier in the show, well, actually, when we took the air, you mentioned about you know upsets are nice and everything, but you prefer to see, let's say, the high-powered teams, the, the power fives playing. I just hope that, because you hear this every now and then, that the the power, the power conferences don't break off on this tournament. And I've heard, you hear it, kind of an underlying and an undertow. I hope it doesn't. I think it really would take away from uh, the, the, the first big weekend of the NCAA tournament. Right, it's kind of what makes it the, the madness, right. right? But with that said, too, I... Do you would you all really want to see another round and for it to to go up to ninety plus teams? Oh gosh, no. I just because no. we talk about how that par there's a well, little bit more parity, but but now the there'd be a dramatic difference in the quality of games. I well, I'm just no, saying. Please no. No, I'm just hoping. No, I don't want to see that because I think all you're going to do is add a whole bunch of Power Five teams in there. But what I'm saying is there has been some underlying talk about eventually that the power fives would break off and have their own tournament and you wouldn't have the Princeton's or the FAU's or the FDU's or having any possibility. And I hope that doesn't happen. And I hope it stays the way it is because I think right now they, they have it going well, although I wouldn't mind it going back to 64. Uh, all right. We have one final segment you guys can jump in on. Somebody in the app said many people are going to owe Brandon Miller an apology when the trial happens, but none of them will give it. Um, let's 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 discuss that when we get back because I, I see where you're where you're at on that I don't alright 8.48 so we got some time here there are a couple things I need to get to one serious one well we might have an answer to Scottie Pippen's back problems, but over his career. But first, someone had mentioned about um, this whole Brandon Miller thing. Uh, many people are going to owe Brandon Miller an apology when the trial happens, but none of them will give it. Uh, I'm assuming you're talking. Well, I think a lot of fans. There was some talk about the media earlier today. Um. I don't believe that a lot of the media folks had an agenda. Now, I know people are probably spitting their coffee out or driving off the road at this point. I I'm sure some do. I'm sure it's, it's human nature. But I think more people than not would rather get the story right than, than force an agenda. And I think media outlets these days press so hard to get the news as quickly as possible that what they think or might know is true. Like the New York Times, for instance. We don't know who they talk to or where they get their information so much so that they double down. They could ultimately be right. It doesn't sound like they are. But why would they double down on something that so many people have come out against? Uh, it, it's not to push an agenda or at the end of the day to say, you know, we're right and you're wrong. Uh, there's something there that they truly believe is correct. I don't know what it is. Um, but I don't think, as a whole, media outlets are like, ooh, let's get Brandon Miller. They see a very sensational story, for sure. So, 
uh, you know, someone may hope it's true for, for headlines and clicks, but I don't know if a lot of them are saying, man, let's make this story true. I don't think you're going to see any apologies from any media people. I don't think that's that's the way people go. And just think of individually do you, uh, to our the, the people that on the app, do you, do you apologize when you should or shouldn't? Very few people do, at least in my background. Um, if they're right or wrong. And I don't think you're going to, if this t case turns around and Alabama comes out of this where, well, if you missed the 730 interview, if it's shown that these uh, individuals like Miles Davis and uh, Darius Miles, I'm sorry, and then, of course, Michael Davis, if there was uh, any way, shape, or form they get off because of maybe they were in self-defense, I don't think you're going to see any apologies. That's just not the way it works. Yeah. Uh, you guys can jump in six nine four one zero five five now, Lee. On a more uh, on a on a lighter note, and Nick, you're probably going to get in on this because this is somewhat NBA related. Larsa Pippen over the weekend, who used to be married to Scottie Pippen, has now said, according to reports, that they had. It's a family friendly show relations four times a night for 23 years straight consecutively Without a break yeah yeah Without a break yeah she doesn't say whether they took tuesdays off to watch reruns right. of law and order i don't know now i find this hard to believe unless she traveled with the team too right i mean she would have to be traveling I think we now know why he had back problems. <laughs> right? He always had the back issues. What's your reaction to that? I mean, four times for 23 years. I can't I can't even do that kind of math, people. Well, first of all, you, you brought up the good point. Was she traveling with the team? We don't know. I don't know. Uh, and I, I guess I'd like to see what... Scotty's reaction to that is too, and you're talking about consecutive. Were these was this during the heyday of the Bulls, or was this before, after? I'll have or? to see when they were married. I'll have to do the uh, yeah the timeline. What's the timeline? Yeah. Was he retired, and that this was, in her words, going on? Um, didn't he have time? Did he have time to go to practice? Oh wow! Back in last year. People did a whole expose on Larsa Pippen's dating history. I'm, that might be longer than the Tuscaloosa Patch uh, story. Um, I don't know, but here's the other thing. If you're Scottie Pippen Jr., how do you feel about this news coming out? Like, Nick, how, how would you like it if your mom made that statement about anything? Um, uh, I would uh, feel very awkward. If my mom were to make statements like that. I, I think so. Thankfully, she's not. <laughs> as far as I know. <laughs> but, uh, no, you know what? Another interesting wrinkle. So, Scottie Pippen Jr., he's technically on the Lakers roster, right? right. Yeah. The Lakers trade for Malik Beasley uh, in the D'Angelo Russell trade. They bring him over from Minnesota. Larsa Pippen's ex-boyfriend is Malik Beasley. Scotty Pippen Jr.'s new teammate. So you really got your finger on the pulse of society. Yeah, I try to. So, um, so what are we in, in, inferencing here? Now they're they're for, former, so they don't. So it's not like he's trying to buddy up with the with the with the little kid. 
to be getting good favor with the mom. Yeah. What if he beats him up in practice? Yeah. Mom, mom Mom's going to come son, down there. Yeah, son calls up. She'll she'll take her glasses off and maybe trash him. Had a uh, caller call in. He said that he asked Alexa how many times <laughs> of relations that is. Yeah. It's 235,600. Okay, so here's where I'm confused. And this is where... Okay, so, but they weren't married that long, were they? They weren't married for 23 years. Well, you know, maybe you grew up in a different type of culture, but nowadays uh, you don't really have to be married to uh, have uh, those relations four times in a night. Mm. So okay. I don't know if that throws off the, the statement too much. Yeah, who's tabulating to? Who's keeping count? I guess Larsa. According to this, Larsa was married to Pippin from 97 to 21. That's no, that's 24 years. Yeah. Huh. And when did the run, when did the Bulls run in? I guess that is right. When did the Bulls run in? Didn't it end in the mid-90s? Yes. When he started having back problems. No, but I mean, 97, well, of course, she could have been with him even before that. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I know that. So now she dates Michael Jordan Jr. No, she right. doesn't. Does she? Yeah. Wow. That's like why she's in the news right now. She's dating Michael Jordan's son. <laughs> so Michael Jordan's teammate's ex wife is dating his son. Correct. And Scottie Pippen's son is now teammates with his mom's ex-boyfriend. Yes. It sounds like there's a whole last dance that needs to be done now. Man. And Dennis Rodman's not involved in this? I mean, who's <laughs> 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 to say? Wow. That's a... That's a that's Meanwhile, a lot to bite off. Let me say that. Wilt Chamberlain up there somewhere around like saying, man, 23 straight years. That, he's doing the math. All right. This is something we're going to have to come back to because. I wonder uh, how Michael Jordan feels about it. Well, Because he, he probably knew. He's a very private person, too. I wouldn't think he'd want something like that out. Well, it's out. Hmm. Uh, somebody had asked for us to, to kind of recap the 7.30 so, uh, interview. That'll be up on social media. You can get us get it uh, on Spotify here earlier later this morning. But we had um, Ryan Phillips of the Tuscaloosa Patch on. He wrote a very detailed story. It's incredibly long. I put the link in the app. I'll do it again as soon as we get off here. But uh, he saw video footage of the night in question with Darius Miles and Michael Davis. The very short version of this is it appears, based on his reporting and his view of that video, that it was Cedric Johnson, uh, the boyfriend and father of Harris's kid, who fired first. I don't want to use the word stalked, but circled back to find Miles and Davis. Cedric Johnson was also the only one that the investigator talked to, and they have yet to successfully serve Johnson with a subpoena. The video also seems to contradict a lot of Cedric Johnson's statements. Long story short, 
Ryan Phillips saying if any of this and all of this is true, it appears that Darius Miles and Michael Davis were acting in self-defense at the time of the shooting. I'll put the link in the app for you. That does it for another edition of the opening kickoff. For Lee and for Triple G and, of course, Scotty Pippen and his poor back, uh, we'll be back tomorrow at 6. Until then, see ya!